Uh, you might be able to guess what the song is. The words aren't out there because we don't have any volume. Anyone? Can anyone guess what the song is? What about me? And what's the next line, Tracy? It is, what about me? It isn't fair. Has anyone ever said those lines before? Or a version, a version of them? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the song. Well, there's a little boy waiting at the corner shop. He's been waiting down there, waiting half the day. They never, ever see him from the top. He gets pushed around, knocked to the ground. He gets to his feet and says, what about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough now and I want my share. Can't you see I want to live? But you just take more than you give. And then another story he tells about his past and then it goes to, what about me? It isn't fair and, and on it goes. Uh, Shannon Knoll. Then we, we often think like that, don't we? We often think life is all about us and really there's no one else. Sometimes life can become like that, can't it? Sometimes our minds can become like that. We just think about ourselves. When good things happen, well, the praise is us. That was me. I did that. And when bad things happen, that was someone else. What about me? It isn't fair. Or we wish there's more for us than we've got, as Shannon Knoll sings. Now, we look at others and we compare ourselves with them. We think, oh, they've got that and I want that. And what about me? It isn't fair. Now, I think that's certainly something that Zechariah and Elizabeth could feel. They could have taken that story and made that their story. What about me? It isn't fair. They they were well along in years and without children. The backstory of this song, the first of our songs in this series, Songs of Christmas, is this. Luke 1, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. That line, but they had no child, it hits us so hard. And yet we don't even understand that the barrenness and the impact of that in the ancient world in a collective society based around honour and shame. It was hard. It was terrible even. Women would even be shamed for barrenness, considered to have done some particular sin or something like that. Negative assumptions made about the reasons for their childlessness. What's with that couple, people might be thinking. But something's changed by the time of Zechariah's song in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. Now, when we hear that giving birth, when the time came for her to give birth, we picture maybe a, a hospital suite, private birth suite, and then the child going home to a, a nice, quiet place. But birth in those days is nothing like that. It's not just a private event, it's a public event. It's a community joining in, knowing what's going on, hearing all about it, and then going to celebrate together. Verse 58, and her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy. The community joins in this praise moment in this family's life. And what we have here is a naming ceremony, effectively. But more than that, it's also a circumcision ceremony. So it's a religious event. 
You know, like the wedding, the, the giving of the rings or the signing of the register where it's, there's, there's an action, it's a ceremony, it's something we praise for and we're thankful for. But there's also something going on in, in that moment, the signing or the, the giving of the rings. A religious event, this is a, a circumcision event. The public reception of the child into the community of Israel. So it's not just a familial naming moment. And this ceremony, though, the baby does get his name. And it's shocking what happens when we consider the cultural customs of the day. See, the community, via the priest, would name the child, usually at that circumcision ceremony, and they would name the, the child after the father. And so my two boys would be called Nick Jr. and Nick Jr. Jr. Or something like that. Maybe Nickelodeon Jr. I might get a bit confused there. At this ceremony, it would be Zechariah Jr. That's the child's name especially as Zechariah was an honourable man, a priest. he just served at the temple. But his mother, Elizabeth, pipes up and says, call him John. Call him John. See, Zechariah had had this visit from an angel who told him that this baby would be born miraculously and he was to name him John, which means the Lord has shown favour. The Lord has shown favor. And so we can assume, because we've later find out he's mute, that he must have played charades or something with his wife to tell her the name, or write it down maybe. Because she then speaks up in this moment, his name is John. And then Zechariah echoes that by writing on a tablet. See, Zechariah's mute, but he needs to agree as the father of the house he was chosen to be priest back at the temple uh, to, to serve. The angel pronounced this miraculous birth to him. But he didn't believe what the angel had spoken, and so he was made mute. God made him stop speaking as a sign that it was really God speaking. And so Zechariah here, back to this naming circumcision ceremony, writes, his name is John. The Lord has shown favor on some kind of wax-covered tablet. And verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And so then having done what the angel commanded, naming the child as he was, as he was commanded, he could then speak. He'd learnt the lesson God was teaching him. And God had used all of this to lead the crowd at the ceremony to then wonder about this baby. Who, what will this child become? Who will this child be? They all wondered. And from verse 65, and fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So the community becomes fear-struck, in awe, and talk about this event. What will this child be? He'll be someone special, but, but How? Like, see, this is a very unusual series of events, isn't it? We've got a temple vision, a barren woman who gives birth. They're also an elderly couple and a muted priest. Like, they're not your average series of events on a given day. This is a significant moment. It's possibly befitting some kind of unusual prophetic ministry to come of this child. But how? And who will he be? Who will he prophesy about. And so Zechariah's song, this, this psalm-like prophecy, is the response, answers that question. 
And it seems at this point that story of the history is getting out and everyone, all the people here are asking, well, who's this child going to be? And it's possibly why about 20 years later there were so many people interested in John the Baptist's ministry when he began his public ministry. They'd heard about this kid and this weird birth and all the story that was going on. and So suddenly they all gather when he begins his public ministry. From verse 67, we get this first song of Christmas. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This is the first stanza, the first verse of this song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. See, God has announced salvation. He's visited, he's redeemed, he's raised up a horn of salvation. And we think of a horn, we might think of some kind of trumpet. Here it's probably talking about the horns of like an ox that would charge off into battle on behalf of the people. And those sharp horns are pretty dangerous, would be victorious. And notice here it's in the house of his servant David. This is King David's house or his dynasty. And as he has done in the past, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. So as he spoke then, now he's speaking again. Remember, there's been the 400 years of silence. God is now speaking. And what's the outcome of what God is doing here? In verse 71, that the Israelites would be saved from enemies. Verse 72, to show his mercy that he promised to their fathers, covenanted, oathed. See the repetition of these kind of promise words here? In order that, verse 74, they might serve him without fear. And so how will this happen? Will this son of Zechariah be the the saviour? Who will this child be? Remember, they're asking that question. Earlier in in chapter 1 of Luke's account, there's similar Old Testament promise type language as we read here. But it's not to Zechariah, it's to a lady named Mary. And we read this, the angel Gabriel announced that her son will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. See that common language. Similarly again to Simeon in the next chapter. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. See, Simeon's been waiting for the consolation of Israel to hear the news. And he's waiting at the temple. He visits and this baby is presented to him. And then here, my eyes, he says, have seen your salvation. God's salvation you've prepared in the presence of all people. And so when Zechariah praises God for his salvation, this Davidic one, he's not talking about his own son. He's talking about the one his own son will talk about. This other child to be born to Elizabeth's relative, to Mary. And notice in these words, in this song, there is no hint of jealousy. Zechariah immediately realizes it's not about him. This is about God fulfilling his promise of long ago. Do you hear all those Old Testament references in the song? God has visited, redeemed, the horn of salvation we spoke about, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father 
Abraham. Basically, every single line of this song is riffing off Old Testament songs. Such is the mind of Zechariah and the Spirit of God within him as he speaks these words. They pick up, these lines pick up on the most significant moments in the history of God's people, and they are being fulfilled now. God visits his people. When does he visit his people? Well, we think about the Garden of Eden, we think about the Exodus. When God enables his people, he visits them, he enables them to exit the people of Egypt. He visits his people to provide for them in famine in the, in the book of Ruth. And then, then redemption, that's a theme we just see right through the Old Testament. He redeems his people at cost to himself. The Psalms often speak of God as the redeemer or the, the horn of salvation image, this ox bolting ahead into battle. It's the image for God being victorious. But it also has links to kings and kingly rule. And so in this moment that Zechariah is announcing, God here is displaying his victorious kingly authority. And he's doing it how? Through the servant or the house of the servant David. The lineage or dynasty of great King David thousand years earlier, God promised to Samuel 7, this, this high point in Israel's history that where David wanted to build a physical house for God and it seemed like he was good and had well intentioned and God says, no, 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 I will build a house for you. And he's actually talking about not just a physical building, God's talking about a dynasty. There would be a king on the throne of David forever, a David-like king. And so now here in Luke 1, a thousand years later, God, through Zechariah, in this very song, is announcing the climax of that dynasty, the dawning of the age of God's anointed one, a forever king. Well, there's this covenant and promise oath language we read here, which takes us right back 2,000 years to Abraham. God promising that he would be blessed, Abraham. God would bless him that he might be a blessing to the nations, that, that he might become a nation, a, a family, and they might be a blessing to the nations around them. And remember Abram and Sarai, also elderly and barren? There's patterns picked up here in Elizabeth and Zechariah. There's drawing on the memories of the people throughout the Old Testament, picking up those key moments, moments like in Ezekiel the prophet or Micah the prophet, that this ruler of old would come in Ezekiel, it's interesting that there's a promise, a prophecy of, of a shepherd to come, and that shepherd is actually spoken of of God himself coming as their shepherd to shepherd his people. In one section, there's actually 20 or so references to I, God, will shepherd my people. And then at the end of that section in Ezekiel, we read, I will set up for them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So God's going to come and shepherd his people through a David-like ruler from David's house. And that's what Zechariah is singing about here. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So God is doing here what he promised he would do thousands of years before, announcing his own coming to earth, that these people might then be a 
blessed to be a blessing to those around them. And Zechariah gets to be privy to this insider news at this point. But it will be announced, and that will be the role of the son of Zechariah. And so the, the song finally zooms in from this big sweep of all this Old Testament history to what God is doing now in this son, verse 76, and you, child. Zechariah's child will be called prophet of the most high. And so we see as we walk through these verses, and it's pictured here, I think, like Zechariah is looking at his baby, you, child. And he sings this song in the presence of the family and of the community at the ceremony. It's, at least it's written that way. Who is this baby? Well, he's not Zechariah Jr. He, he's John, prophet of the Most High, and he'll be messenger. How? By going out, by going to the people in advance of the Lord to prepare his ways. What for? To give knowledge of, of how to be saved. And they might be initially thinking opposition armies, salvation like in the Old Testament. No. Salvation how? In the forgiveness of their sins. That is the ultimate enemy. Sin against God and the impact of that. And how you save from that? Forgiveness. Why is God doing all of this? Is it for John's ego or Zechariah's ego? Is it for Elizabeth's pride? Well, no. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. Because of the tender mercy of our God. See, this is a profoundly joyous moment for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're old. Childless before this moment would have been shamed by the community. Zechariah is well known, respected as a temple official. He's served at the, as a priest. He's just come from that service. But this isn't really about them and their joy, though they would be joyous, and rightfully so. See, when the angel announced this birth to Zechariah, he said, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. In the sight of the Lord. Why? God's Spirit will be in him, given to him, and he'll bring many, many people back to the Lord through his message of turn, repent, come back to the Lord. He'll be preaching in strange places, he'll be wearing strange clothes, he'll be eating strange food, and he'll be calling people to come back to not be estranged anymore from God. See, that's the real reason for this community to rejoice. This kid's job is to announce that the person of God is coming. The Messiah has come. And we see this in the imagery of the light, particularly in verse 78 and 79. The allusions to the light amidst darkness, which is picked up throughout the Old Testament. The sunrise or the rising sun visiting, light shining amidst darkness. In Isaiah 9, it's, it's talking about the Messiah to come. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Here is this son, the one that Zechariah's son will point to, bring light. God himself coming to sit on David's throne. And so this light and peace, as we think about 
what faith is. It's not just direction for little bits of our life, though it is that, or a nice feeling of, of safety and security. It's not just something that makes us feel good. This is the peace that comes when God himself comes to earth and makes everything right, reorders the chaos, forgives sins, and turns deep, dark shadows of death into light. That's the news that this baby will announce. That's the news that we celebrate at Christmas. And as we've already seen in just this one song, this first of the songs of Christmas, this is the climax of the whole story of the whole Bible, which is really the story of the whole world. And as humans, we're pretty good at making that big story a little story, all about us. Zechariah manages to avoid that temptation here, to think, what about me? And John as well. As we heard earlier, John grows up and he grew and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And then he does what he was called to do. That he may not increase, but God may increase. Jesus' ministry may increase. He tells people the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here, and so everyone must turn back. The Messiah is coming. He points forward. The Messiah is here. He says it's now. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as he sees Jesus coming towards him. And he says, so because of that, turn around and follow him. See, we're pretty good at making things about us and then singing our own versions of what about me? It isn't fair. But as Christians, our job is to be like Zechariah and to be like John. Make everything all about Jesus. When this baby John grows up, that's exactly what he does. He must increase, he says of Jesus, but I must decrease. And so if we are truly Christian believers, our story is not this. Our story is this. That is our Christmas song. That is our life song, our life story. It's not about us. Our self-identity is not to be found within us. It's not what other people say about us. Our song is God's song, and it's named Jesus. Visiting, redeeming, saving. And if you're not a Christian believer and you're, you're hearing this today, the question I think this passage leaves us with is, do you want that forgiveness and peace that is being offered here, that Jesus brings? Do you feel a sense of darkness in this world, in your world, even inside yourself? And would you like to know and, and really experience the peace that God brings? Not just peace personally, though it's that too, but peace for this whole world, which is the story of Christmas, the forgiveness that God in his tender mercy chooses to offer to us. So if that's you, do speak to someone today about that. Do speak to someone today and consider it this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Our great God, we, we thank and, and praise you that we have this great song this man, Zechariah, who would have just been shocked and amazed to hear this news of his own son, and yet he just speaks of the other son, 
the son of Mary, the son of Joseph, your son, Jesus. And so we pray that he might be our song. Amen.